Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, we will we'll continue to explore what Isaiah is teaching, what Isaiah was trying to teach Jer- Jerusalem and the Judah tribe of Judah and Benjamin, which also, like I say, holds very much important words for us today. You know, I believe that one of the most hated words in the English language is the word wait. Wait. I think we all hate to wait. The one time that one time I heard God's voice, he actually told me, wait. I didn't like it. But he took care of something that I was dealing with if I just waited and trusted in him. Yes, the word wait is a four-letter word. I always remind myself of that, but we don't like it. And consequently, because we don't like it, it, it always seems that our life is full of waiting. We, we wait in line at the bank. We wait in line at the grocery store. We, now, granted, the waiting in the line at the BMV is not as bad as it used to be. But we still have to take a number and we wait. We wait, wait at the drive-through. In the medical field, they have a special room for it. It's called the waiting room. I think one of the terrible things about hell will probably be that you're constantly waiting for something that never happens. It's torture to have to wait. We in our human nature are impatient people. In our culture, especially, has taught us we want it now. We can get things almost instantaneously. Do you know that there are some things that if you order from Amazon this morning that you will get it this afternoon because we have a big warehouse here. And if not, it's two-day shipping. And I remember when it was two-week shipping, and that was amazing. And now it's two days, one day. We don't want to wait But in our Christian life, that is what we are called to do. We are called to wait. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, you know, we're all waiting in anticipation for that day when Christ comes back and and judges the world, and everything is made perfect. We, we, we've all heard sermons on it. We've done Bible studies on it. And yet here we are still in that same place, waiting. But waiting is hard. We don't always understand why. Why do I have to wait? My kids especially, children especially, find it very difficult to understand why you have to wait. I, mean, I always tell my kids it builds character. Like, well, they say, I don't want to build character. I want it now. I think of the Barunka from the original Willy Wonka, you know. Daddy, I want it now. She didn't want to wait until she went home. She wanted it then. Children struggle with that. And we as children of God sometimes struggle to wait on God to do what he's going to do. Paul in 1 Corinthians gives us the reason for our struggle in waiting. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. You want to know why you don't understand God all the time? Why you don't quite understand what he's doing, why he's doing? Well, it's natural. 
It's because of who we are, that we are humans. We don't accept it. We don't quite understand it. Why? Because they're folly to us. And we're not able to understand them because we are because most of these things that God is doing must be spiritually discerned. You can't figure it out in your head because it makes no sense. The only way to understand what God is doing is in your spirit. God ways are counterintuitive to our way of thinking. He does things that don't make sense to us at all. Isaiah is sent to Judah to deliver probably the most improbable message possible that could come to them. He says, your only hope is to give up hope on everything else and hope solely in God. And you understand, they have the Assyrians who are going to be attacking them. Things are, are terrible, they're afraid. And you're telling me I got a I got a hope on hope in God who I've never seen, who I've never heard. I mean, I, yeah, we, we go to we go to temple, we do our sacrifices, and you know, we hedge our bets with the other gods. And you're asking me to to give up hope on on anybody else coming and saving us, and a hope in somebody that we struggle to even think that exists. Isaiah says, yeah, exactly. We, we, we have to give up hope on all these things that we put our trust in in our lives. And we need to put our hope in God, even if society itself puts its hope in all these other things. We can't hope in the things of this world. We can't hope in the, quote, experts in this world because they're wrong. They're human. And they make mistakes and they change their minds and they go back and forth. We've seen that over the last few years. They never stick with what they, they know is right. We only find safety if we trust in God. We only, the only way we can find stability in our lives is to yield our life to Christ. So I have to give up my life in order to be stable. I want to, but, but I want I, I, I want me to be stable. I want to be stable right here. I want me to be able to do this because that's what I'm comfortable with. God says, no. You have to take that leap of faith and trust me to be stable. Yield control to him. And the only way we're going to find freedom in our lives is if we surrender. Oh, ho, ho. Man, Pastor, I can't surrender. I don't. I don't surrender to anything. I, I don't. I don't surrender to my spouse, my kids, my boss. I don't. No way. No, I ain't got to do it. Yeah, I know. I can tell. You need to surrender. Let go of your life. Paul wrote in the book of Colossians. He says, "Set your minds on things that are above." Right there, he's telling us the problem we have today is we don't set our minds on things above. We set our mind on the things that are here. We, we want to, the things we can touch, the things we can see. That's the thing we set our mind on. And Paul says, no, don't. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We've already died. We've died to the world. We've died to the sin. We've died to ourselves. We live in Christ. 
See, true, true spirituality does not begin until you stop focusing on the immediate and the obvious. You have to look past the obvious. We have to look beyond ourselves. We've got to look beyond what the world calls rational. Believe me, the world itself, the secular world, thinks we're crazy. You guys are so irrational. Have you ever seen God? Well, no. Have you ever heard God? Well, no. Well, how, how do you believe in him? I just believe in him. I know he's there. Oh, that's just, that's just that's foolishness. That's what the world will tell us. See, what we got to understand is we need to trust in the God who has all the resources we need, who can help us outperform any human technique or any strategy or any spiritual regimen that the world tries to tell us we need to do. If those of you that have listened to or watched my video on the Enneagram, I'm like, why would, why would we take something that's pagan to teach us how to do something when we have Jesus, who is the ultimate in relationships, he's the ultimate person who, knows, who is able to relate with everybody, and we have the Bible, why would we take something that's extra-biblical, outside the Bible, pagan, to try to teach us how to do something to Jesus? We have the ultimate example right there. Why do we take the things in this world and think they're going to be better than what God has for us? So what Isaiah 30 is going to do is, in this book, in this chapter, Isaiah is going to show us the amazing ways of God. And in the middle of the chapter, we find the answer to why we must wait on the Lord. Which is the verse we said at the beginning. Verse 15. This chapter is rife with ancient words pertaining to a time of ancient circumstances. And yet here today, it's just as relevant. So we have to learn to live, and that's the verse. Set your minds on the things that are about. No, that's not the verse. That's the other verse. Sorry. We have to learn to live by repentance. Live by repentance. And rest in quiet trust in God. I've, I've said this before. We need to daily be repenting. We need to live in repentance. And we, and we need to rest in the quiet trust of God. We must learn to face the trials of our lives, and no matter how big they are. But we don't face them alone. We face them with God, by faith in God, who's gracious to give us and to show us what we need. He shows us compassion. Do you think the whole time... That, that Job was going through what he was going through, that God didn't have compassion on him? But see, God knows more than we do. He knows how it's going to turn out. He knows how he's going to bless. So he, he's not going to just step in and take it all out of the way. He doesn't just come and save, you know, he's not, you know, he, he's not going to come and save the day. That moment's still going to happen. We're still going to struggle in our lives, but he's going to save us. The day he's going to save, save is the day that's in the future. The day of the Lord. So we have to wait on him during our suffering. We need to seek his face during our suffering. Because our true enemy is greater than any army out there. The true enemy knows us so well. 
He knows exactly what it's going to take to try to trip us up, to try to discourage us, to try to lead us away. And that's his ultimate goal. His goal is to separate us from each other, to separate us from our family, separate us from ourselves, and separate us from God. And he knows just how to do it in each of us. And our greatest enemy that is facing every single one of us every day is death. And there's no deliverance from either enemy, either Satan or death, apart from God. So let's go to Isaiah 30, beginning with verse 1. Ah, stubborn children declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt." Last night we were at the campsite and the three families were together and um, Tiffany brought glow sticks for all the kids. And you give a child a toy in the dark, like a glow stick, what are they going to do? All of a sudden, they're not in front of me anymore. They're all behind me and they're all heading down the road, pitch black. Cars coming and going because people were leaving and coming and going. And I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, we're just going to go down the road. No, you're not. You're going to stay here in the campsite because there's cars coming back and forth. Children don't always have the best thoughts initially. They have to be trained. But these children that God is talking about are adults, but they're his children. That's You and I, we're stubborn. We want to do our own thing, our own way, what we think is right. But see, the interesting thing is God is not only concerned that you believe in him. Yes, he is concerned that you believe in him, but that's not the only thing. What he is more concerned about is what we might call functional faith. Does your belief in Christ play out in how you live your life? Does it actually show in your life? Is how you live your life, is, is your faith driving your life? That's what faith, that's what God is concerned about. It's not about works. Because we, we need to have our, that faith in Christ for salvation. But that faith needs to translate into your life. It needs to change you and what you do. It's very possible to believe the right things. And yet, live life by the world's wisdom. It happens all the time. This is what the Israelites were doing. They were children of God. They, they were God's chosen people. They knew who he was. They had the history of what he had done for their people. And yet they're living by the world's wisdom. They knew the Pentateuch. They knew the first five books of the Bible. They knew the writings of the prophets, the wise sayings and but in, in, in the stress of their daily lives, what happens? They begin to live by different rules. And believe me, we do the same thing today. We know what the Bible says. Anybody who's been in church your life, you know what the Bible, you know what you're supposed to do. 
But unless you set your mind on doing it, you're not going to. You're going to fall into the pattern of the world. You're going to live by the rules of the world rather than by the rules of Christ. What it was happening at this time was the Assyrians were going to attack. They were the bullies in the neighborhood. And they, the, the Israelites, they had this fear. This pressure was on them. They were afraid. Prompted them to try and find a solution to their fear. And believe me, fear is a fearsome motivator. We've seen that in the last two years. You see people doing things that they normally wouldn't have done. And it's a lot of fear. But this time was exactly why God had chosen them. God had chosen them for that time. He had chosen them to be his people so that they could trust in him, that they could show the world that they are God's chosen people. It's different for them as it should be different for us in this world. Believe me, there's going to be things happening in the days ahead that the world is just going to be like running around like chickens with their head cut off on fire. Okay? And how are we going to react? Are we going to react like we, we have faith in God? Or are we going to react, react just like them and chase after them with our hair on fire? He wanted them to go through this time with them trusting him. He had proven himself over and over again. But see, there's something in the human psyche. You, when God does something for us in the past, there's something in the human psyche that has a tendency to forget it. It kind of kind of gets dim as the days go by. We've all had those moments in our lives when we've really felt close to God and we're like, man, this is just, this is it. I just, I know God loves me and I'll get through this. And, and then, you know, a couple years happen, a couple months happen. And all of a sudden we're back in a place where we're being, we're struggling. And that feeling we had of God is dim. We don't remember it. It diminishes. We become uncertain. That, that truth of God's faithfulness that we had in the past is gone. It's forgotten. And fear begins to take over. And believe me, Satan fosters, he fans the flame of that fear in us. We think that we're being unloved, not cared for. But see, that's, that's why you and I need constant renewal. That's why we need to be in God's word, to constantly renew us daily. Because, see, the world constantly puts things in our face that tries to tell us, well, this is the answer right here. Or here's your answer. I've got it. It's here. This is the answer. How many times have you, if you're on the Internet or you're on YouTube and you... You get an ad for some, oh, this is how you're going to lose weight. Oh, this is how you need to make money. This is how, constant. Everybody has an answer. The world's constantly going to try to distract us. So we have to be sure that we keep our eyes firmly on Christ. So God's going to tell them, that's what you're going to do. This is what's going to happen. He says, therefore... Because you're going to do this, therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter and the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. 
For though his officials are at Zoan and his envoys reach Haines, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them. That brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. You're running back to the very people who enslaved you for years. Judah's plan was to get help from Egypt, but that wasn't God's plan. If you remember Egypt, which, was, which we called Cush, they had sent envoys to, um, to Jerusalem. Remember, if you remember many weeks back, they sent envoys to convince Judah to ally with Egypt against the Assyrians. And believe me, it probably made perfect sense for the Jerusalem, for Judahites to actually envoy, to actually join up with Egypt. Egypt was the other strong power. And if you get enough people joining with Egypt, you can, you can take care of the Assyrians. The world says that makes sense. But the reality is that it's an idol. You know what you need to do. You need to trust God. And if you trust in something else, you have now created an idol. We must not trust in our own abilities, our own resources, our own personalities, our own charm. We have to trust in God. So God's going to go on in this. In verse 6, he says, An oracle on the beast of the Negev. Negev is a desert area. Through a land of trouble and anguish from where come the lioness and the lion, the adder and the flying fiery serpent. They carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who sits still. From this we understand and we can tell that what has happened is what you would do is if you wanted a nation to find favor with you, you know, that you wanted them to favor you and to help you, you would send them riches. You appease them. You bribe them. And that's what they've done. They've sent, sent donkeys and camels filled with riches, but that's to no avail. It's not going to help them. And you've got to remember, think about this. They didn't have the Internet. They didn't have telephones back then. They would have, that would have been a multiple-week journey. So multiple weeks of wondering if what you sent them is even going to do any good. And God's saying, no, it's not. God tells them, forget. Forget about it. You're, you're not going to get your, they're not going to say, the Egyptians are not going to say, oh, hey, well, no, go ahead, take your treasures back. Oh, they're going to take them. They're going to accept them. But their help is not going to do you any good. So what does God call them? He calls them Rahab. Rahab is an ancient name for a powerful beast that in this verse is is made inept because it cannot move. Our God is gracious. He calls all of us unspiritual nitwits, basically, who are stumbling through life. And what's he doing? He's saying, all these things you're resting in are, are nothing. They're not going to be able to move. But what he's going to do, he's calling us to, he says, come to me. This is in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, come to me, 
all you who are labor and who are heavy laden, when we are in trouble, when we're, we're in labor, where we're struggling, that we need to go to God. It's the first place we should go. Take my yoke upon you. Lay my yoke on God and give, God will give me his yoke because his yoke is easy. It's light. Learn from him. And what we do is we, we do this by turning aside from all those other things in the world, all those other things we're putting our trust in and to put our trust in Christ. So God's then going to give Isaiah a, a purpose of what he's supposed to do. He says, and now go write it before them on a tablet and scribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. What is happening is God is not just writing this for them. He's writing this for future generations because he knows that that generation is not going to listen. He says, for they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instructions of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. That generation had reached the, past the point of no return. There was no hope for them. Isaiah, what Isaiah is going to tell him is not going to change anything. So God tells him, write it down as a legacy. He's not just speaking to that generation. He's speaking to all generations. See, the most important thing about prophecy prophecy, a prophetic word, is not how it comes to us. The most important thing about a prophetic word is what we do with it when we hear it. God had told them, nothing's going to happen. Egypt's not going to help you. But they did it anyways. See, what do we want to hear? Do we want to hear God's word? Do we want to hear what, what God's telling us? Do we want just want something that tickles our ears? says that in the end days people will gather people around them that will tell them what they want to hear and will tickle their ears. I'm afraid that that's what many churches today are doing. Longing for the tickling of ears instead of the rending of hearts. But there is a repercussion for doing that. Verse 12 says, Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, talking about Egypt, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse. See, it's, it's, not, it's not coming from the outside. It's a bulging wall coming from the inside. whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. And its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of a cistern. People are, have been saying recently that this country is going to fall apart. It's not going to be from the outside. It's going to be from the inside. I believe it. We're being destroyed from the inside. 
And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that it's not just going to be, it's not going to be Assyria that takes you out, which ultimately will. It's, it's yourself. It's your very own evilness, your very own lack of trust in God that's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy you so bad that there's nothing left. You, a shark, you can't even use the pot to heat anything on a fire or to draw water. See, in our, in our desire to hear pleasant things, we're building this wall in our lives that it's not going to stand in times of trouble. Like the house that's built on sand. And the walls of the house went splat. Right? But we, we need to build our lives and our houses on the truths of God and the faith in Jesus Christ. And the answer is what we read at the beginning of the service today. Verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, in repentance and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you are unwilling. It's like telling your children, this is what you need to do, but they just don't want to listen. Sometimes you've got to let them go. And let them experience what they're going to experience. He says, but you are, you were unwilling. And you said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away and will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. See, the answer to our lives is right there in verse 15. In returning, in repentance and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So what is repentance? Repentance is turning away from the path that you're on. Turning away from the path of sin that's going to lead to judgment and turning back to God. People say, well, I've repented. Have you? Then why are you still doing the sin? Well, yeah. No, you need to repent and go the other way. Granted, there are other sins you're going to commit. And you need to repent of those and go the other way. Rest. See, what, what rest is, and believe me, there's different ideas of rest, but rest is not going forward with our own plans. I'm not going to do what I want to do. God, what do you want me to do with this? What are you, what are you teaching me? What do you, what do you want me to do? It's not going with our own plans and forming alliances with idols and, and of this world instead of the Holy Spirit. We need to make our plans with the Holy Spirit. Let Him guide us. Quietness. Quietness is not just the lack of noise. Though, that's kind of nice sometimes. Quietness is the Having peace with God. Knowing that there's nothing between you and Him. Resting in Him. Knowing that God is sovereign. That there's nothing will come to you that's outside of His will. That's, that's having peace with Him. Understanding that He will, anything that happens to you, chances are He's allowing it to happen. If it's bad, it's, He's allowing it to happen. And trusting Him and, and working through it with Him. But it's that peace that we have with God. And trust, because this trust shall be your strength. Trust is faith that in the end, that it's faith in Christ alone that will save us. 
But that's not what we want. It's not what Judah wanted. It's not what the world wants. They want easy answers with no surrender. Oh, I can't surrender. Oh, no. See, God is waiting. Verse 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. It tells us to wait on the Lord. And then it says God is waiting. He's waiting to be gracious to you. He's not going to force you to do anything. He's not going to force you to follow him. He's not going to force you to trust in him. He's waiting for you to make that conscious decision to follow and trust him daily. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. He wants, that's what God wants. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. God's deepest longing is to show compassion to you. But mankind, boy, we're unwilling. We don't want to meet God on his terms. We want God on our own terms. So he waits. He waits and he waits. And he waits for his timetable to finally show his grace to his people. Ultimately, he's hoping that what he allows to happen will draw people back to him. He waits patiently for his sovereign control over events to have the impact that will lead us to repentance. He's waiting. You know, we want to, when, when is Christ going to return? Well, he's waiting. Waiting for what? He's waiting for the right number. He's waiting for the right for the number of people who are, who are going to believe to believe, to put their trust in him. It's not a matter of time. It's a matter of numbers. He knows, but he knows exactly when it's going to happen. But his deepest longing is to show us compassion that will lead us to repentance. And when he does that, when that happens, when we repent, what's ultimately going to be, again, we're going to see here this picture of what we're going to see this dichotomy between what's going to happen to those who put their trust in God and those who put their trust in the world. In verse 19, it says, For a people shall dwell in Zion. Zion is always the hill. It's the mountain. It's Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear of the word behind you, saying, this is the way, walk in it. Think about that imagery. You, there's going to come a time where we're going to see God. But until that time, what we're going to do, we're going to hear somebody who's behind us saying, this is the way, go. Holy Spirit saying, this is the way, go. Not pulling us down the path, not pushing us down the path, but saying, that's the way. Make that choice. Go this way. This is where you should go. This is the way to walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Understand that grace, grace is the key to what, how God deals with us. God is committed to the good for us. I don't know, man. Sometimes I wonder if God is really wants good for me. Yeah, he does. But sometimes that good is not what we think is good. And we have to go through the bad that we try to figure out and we try to do in the process. 
God is committed to the good for us, even though we deserve judgment. He gives us grace. It is from grace that everything we need, including salvation, flows. Did you know that even in God's grace, he gives us affliction? Why? Because he's trying to teach us something. When I told those kids not to run in the street, I wasn't telling them about that because I was some mean, you know, mean person. They may think I am. I'm trying to teach them something. You don't run in the street in the dark, even with the lights on, with cars coming, because they could still hit you. You know? I'm trying to teach them. So God, in his grace, gives us affliction. Because in the middle of that, he gives us himself in our greatest time of need. Our growing enjoyment of God in our lives is just a foretaste of what is coming. We've all had those times where we've, we just felt God's breath. That is, that's going to be constant one day. He continues in verse 22. He says, Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. All these idols, all these things of the world will be gone. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, Be gone. And, you will give, and he will give rain for the seed with which you sow in the ground. And bread, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. In that day, your livestock will graze in large pastures, and the oxen and the donkeys that work at the ground will eat seasoned fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. And on every lofty mountain, in every high hill, there will be brooks running with water. In the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall, moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of the seven days. And the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. The day is coming where everything will be perfect. We'll be back to the garden. Understand that's where it started and that's where it's going. It's going to come for a full circle. Everything is going to be perfect. All creation will be set free from the bondage of sin. Just as Paul shares in Romans 8.31, it says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, it not only bound them, it bound creation. That's why part of the curse was that we would, we would till the soil and we would have to, from the sweat of our brow, we would, we would eat and we would have weeds and thistles and thorns. I think there was a double meaning there. Yes, we're going to have weeds and thistles and thorns in our gardens, but we're also going to have weeds and thistles and thorns in the gardens of our lives. But the day is coming when those will be gone. The curse is reversed. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more weeds. Just abundant harvest and ultimate healing. But not for everyone. I mean, if that was the story, if that was the only story, that would be great, right? This is what's going to happen. We're all, you know, people say today, well, there's more, everybody's going to be saved. No, they're not. Because if they were, then this next part wouldn't be in here. Because we know that's not true. Those who don't trust in the name of the Lord, there's a different future that awaits them. Verse 27. Behold. Look. The name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger and in thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury and his tongue is like a devouring fire. 
His breath is like an overflowing stream that reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of destruction and to place on the jaws of the people a bridle that leads astray. You shall have a song as in the night when a holy feast is kept and gladness of heart as when one sets out the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel. And the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and a flame of devouring fire with a cloudburst and storm and hailstorms. Very different from the previous verses. It says, the Assyrians will be terror-stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. This is what actually does happen. This is, this is prophecy about something that was going to happen that did. When the Assyrians go to attack, God takes care of them, and they end up not attacking Jerusalem. We know this from history. But there's a double meaning here. In the future, we have a future waiting when the destruction of the whole world, the judgment of the whole world will come. And every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord lays on them will be the sound of tambourines and lyres. Battling with brandished arm, he will fight with them. For a burning place has long been prepared. This is where we're talking about hell now, the eternal hell. Indeed, for the king it is made ready. Its pyre made deep and wide with fire and wood in abundance and the breath of the Lord like the stream of sulfur kindles it. In that verse, God is, not, God is not talking about the king of Assyria. He's talking about the king of all evil. He's talking about Satan himself because hell was not made for us. Hell was made for Satan and his angels and his demons. That was their, that's where they were. That God, he made that. God made that for them, their punishment. But because man chooses not to follow God, he's going to send them there also as their punishment. Actually, in reality, they're sending themselves. They made that choice. So how do we apply this? Like I said, these are ancient words, ancient times. Our application is we need to come to Christ. We need to repent. We need to live lives of repentance. We need to learn to face your daily trials by the same faith by which you hope to live on Judgment Day. You need to daily trust in God. Renew it every day. How are you making alliances in your life but not making them with the Holy Spirit? How are you making the alliances in your life to solve your afflictions and your troubles but you're not going to God with those? Learn to delight in all of God's prophetic messages. Don't seek those things that just tickle your ears. We may not like sometimes what the Bible tells us, but we need, we need it. Learn to hate the idols in your life as the pastor's commands to hate the created things that, are putting, that we're putting our faith in. Hate those things that lead you astray. Learn to walk more and more by the power of the Spirit as He teaches you the Word. Don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. Remember what it said in verse 21. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right and when you turn to the left, walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. 
We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the What Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.